Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, the web-only sports show from RNZ Sport. I'm Barry Guy. This week we celebrate the career of New Zealand cricket captain Brendan McCullum as he plays his last test. We talk rugby as the new super rugby season is almost upon us. The Phoenix get a licence extension. It was a big week for Richie McCaw who was named New Zealander of the Year and then accepted the Halberg Supreme Award for the World Cup winning All Blacks. And world champion sailor Peter Burling looks ahead to the Rio Olympics. The reign of Black Caps captain Brent McCullum is about to end. 34-year-old Baz, as he's known to his teammates, will lead the New Zealand cricket team for the final time when they play Australia in the second test at Hagley Oval in Christchurch. McCullum played his first international game for New Zealand in a one-dayer against Australia in 2002 and made his test debut two years later in 2004 against South Africa. Sports editor Stephen Hewson with this report. Up they go. And he's given. Oh, that is out. Right on stumps as McCullum goes. Brenton McCullum won't have fond memories of his 100th test. Having scored a duck and just 10 at the Basin Reserve, he'll be hoping to head off into retirement with a few more runs under his belt and a rare test win over Australia. You come into the game with huge expectations and, and you want to do well, but sometimes your results don't marry up to the ambitions that you have. But um. I'm really excited about that last test match and another opportunity to play against a very good Australian team and if we can find a way to win that last test match then I'm sure it would be a uh, really exciting moment for everyone involved. Black Caps coach Mike Hessen says the team will mark McCullum's final international game with a special presentation. We'll have a special cap presentation um, with his last test match and you know that'll be a special time for the group. Now, that'll be the key thing and then at the end of the match no doubt we'll have a chance to, to recognise what he's been able to do but the focus will be very much on a test match. While McCullum's about to play his last test, the Canterbury batsman Henry Nichols is set to play in just his second. Despite the innings loss in the first test in Wellington, he's confident they can turn things around and says they shouldn't overanalyse just what went wrong at the Basin Reserve. Sometimes when you lose, you consider it's easy to look into a lot of things that went wrong, and obviously a few things did go wrong in Wellington, that's why we lost the test, but I think for us it's a big emphasis on just keeping it nice and simple and I guess not being too caught up in the big occasion. Obviously it's Brendan's last game and everything like that, but I think him as captain and his philosophy in the game is always to go out and enjoy it and give it your best, I think that's what we're trying to focus on. Mike Hesson doesn't believe the focus on McCullum's departures distracted them during the series. We win, we don't get too high, we, we lose, we don't get um, too down on ourselves, and that's the reason why we've been so consistent in recent times. The former New Zealand cricket captain Ken Rutherford says McCullum was always earmarked for top honours. Rutherford played alongside McCullum's father Stu for Otago in the mid-80s, and he saw a lot of both Brendan and his older brother Nathan as they grew up, as they'd often turn up at Otago practice sessions and scurry around returning balls to the bowlers at net sessions. He is the heartbeat of the side. He is the the character behind the story of, of this uh, 
rejuvenation of uh, our cricketing fortunes in the last two to three years. You know, Brendan's he, he is a, a real live wire. He's a guy who who just loves playing for New Zealand. He could have taken the easy money easy money years ago and just said, right, I'm going to be a T20 specialist and probably made more money by doing that. And he loves being part of the, the whole Kiwi cricket culture and he'll be very proud when he looks back in years to come of, of the legacy that he has left. A test victory against Australia in New Zealand is something McCullum craves. Not only would it level the series at one all, it would also be the first win over an Australian side in New Zealand since 1993. In Christchurch, Stephen Hewson. The former New Zealand cricket captain Ken Rutherford says McCullum should be very proud of the legacy he will leave. He is the heartbeat of the side. He is the the character behind the story of, of this uh, rejuvenation of uh, our cricketing fortunes in the last two to three years. Uh, Mike Heston's played a key role as well. Let's not underestimate that, but it's that partnership of, of McCullum and Heston that's really been to the fore. And you know, Brendan's he, he is a, a real live wire. He's a guy who who just loves playing for New Zealand. He could have taken the easy money, easy money years ago and just said, right, I'm going to be a T20 specialist and probably made more money by doing that. And uh, But he he loves playing for New Zealand. He loves being part of the, the whole Kiwi cricket culture. And um, he'll be very proud when he looks back in years to come of, of the legacy that he has left because you just look at a guy like Kane Williamson and you just look at him, see and view at close hand what McCallum has done over the last year or so. And he's lapped it up and... Uh, I've got a sense that uh, not too much may change under the captaincy of Williamson, uh, all, all, all under the tutelage of, of, of McCullum. Is possibly the, the the thing that the side may miss the most is the fact, or it seems to be, the self-confidence that he's able to engender in the rest of the team and, and the players' sense of self-belief? Yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a good call. It's a good point. I think uh, one thing that Brendan has done, he said, right, guys, Let's, let's be prepared to have a go here. Let's not sit back. Let's not, uh, you know, the challenge is there before us. Let's not uh, squirm and, and, and balk at that challenge. Let's actually meet it head on and, and back ourselves. And I think uh, as New Zealanders in general, we probably, <laughs> we do tend to maybe just sit back a little bit at times when the challenge appears too immense um, in cricketing terms I'm, I'm talking about. And um I think McCullum's probably changed that whole culture around uh, New Zealand cricket. When he's taken on a challenge, say, playing Australia or that whole World Cup series at home, a lot of pressure on them to perform. It was, it's not just sit back, let's really take the challenge on and uh, head first. And um, I think that's a really good attitude that he's really engendered in, in the whole team. I think one point about Williamson's captaincy, and one thing the selectors are probably going to have to look at um, over the next couple of years, is whether he can do all three forms of the game. We know he's developed into a very good T20 player, so he deserves to play T20 cricket game Winston, but whether the whole pressure involved with captaining aside 12 months of the year in all three forms, uh, I think it's a bit too much. So I think the leadership group will change again and maybe one or two other individuals will come in to, to support Williamson. Do you think Kane Williamson, though, is able to bring that, I suppose, sort of devil-may-care attitude. It, with McCullum, he's always ready to take that risk. He's not le- prepared to let a game stagnate. But Williamson, just in his general approach, he he takes the he plays the percentages. That's something that Brendan McCullum may not necessarily do, and therefore that sort of approach may disappear a little. I think it's something that Kane has learnt over the last two or three years of being very close to to McCallum and very close to you know, viewing McCallum's captaincy. I think that's probably something we will learn in time and uh, probably
probably judge Williamson uh, over the next two or three years, that kind of aspect of his captaincy. But I've got a feeling that we shouldn't underestimate his uh, creativity uh, as well as perhaps an edge of conservatism there as well, which McCallum uh, lacked at times. Look, McCallum wasn't foolproof as a captain. Um, there were times there you kind of looked at the game of cricket and thought, well, defence is actually not a bad form of attack, and especially in test cricket, actually bowling a few maidens and, and keeping things, things tight for, say, you know, 10 to 14 overs is actually a pretty good strategy. And that was one thing that Brendan probably wasn't all that keen on doing. That's um, just a very subtle criticism, and I don't want to make a big deal of that at all. But I think Williamson will view as those opportunities and will take those opportunities if that's play to sit back at times and to play a more of a waiting game, which is actually quite a good strategy in Test cricket. Was Brendan McCullum always destined for, for this? I mean, you must have seen a wee bit of him being from Otago yourself as he, as he came through the ranks. Was this always going to be where Brendan McCullum ended up? Yeah, I've got no doubt about that. I remember playing with his father, Stu McCullum, back in the old days for Otago and Nathan, the older brother, and Brendan, the younger brother, used to turn up at most of our trainings and scurry around after all the loose balls that were being whacked around behind the behind the nets. And um, there was always something about the two McCallum boys which suggested they were going to get every chance uh, to to play sport. Um, typically Kiwis, or typical Kiwis, I suppose, in many regards, growing up. But I recall living in South Africa and being part of uh, the cricket setup over there and. It was a South African under-19 team that toured New Zealand about uh, 1999, around about then. And we had a local lad from Johannesburg in the South African side, and he came back from the tour, and I said to him, how did it all go over there? And he said, well, you Kiwis, you played the game very hard. And I said, oh, yeah, what's that? He said, you're captain of that side, that fellow McCallum. He's such a difficult fellow to play against, a great player. You'll go far. And that was from a young South African uh, under-19 player. I always remember that. And it was, wasn't just the, the fact that Brennan was a a terrific cricketer and could bet and he could keep. But it was just the way he led the side as well. Even back then, I think he was earmarked. That's Ken Rutherford talking to Stephen Hewson. And you're listening to Extra Time with Barry Guy. The Wellington Phoenix Football Club has been given a 10-year licence extension in the A-League. The 10-year deal with Football Federation Australia is made up of a four-year deal with two three-year extensions dependent on continued broadcast deals. The club had initially been offered just a four-year deal, which they found unacceptable. I spoke with club chairman Rob Morrison. We're really pleased with it. Um, I think it gives us tenure. Um, it does give, yeah, it gives us certainty. Uh, it gives us the ability to invest. Um, but I think you know, just certainty is important. It's important for the players. It's important for sponsors. Uh, it's important for, for everybody who participates in and around the club. And um, I think that's a, it's a really positive, really positive outcome. It, it appeared that the FFA wanted a, a lot of support for the club, but, you know, both within the stadium and, and outside. So, have you achieved that? Yeah, um, as always, there are disparate parts to any organisation. Um, and I think the support from uh, the Wellington City Council has been has been really important. Uh, I think um, everything that they've done, um, even prior to these negotiations, they, they, they've been a great supporter for us. But actually, through the process, um, they've been, been incredibly helpful. Um, and that's you know, around different things around um, ground availability, around training facilities and so on. 
all those things are super important in terms of the ability to build and grow the club. And what the FFA wanted to see and understand was that, that was that uh, we were going to continue to grow. Now, uh, I think we had always felt we were demonstrating that we were. Um, it just took took some time for, for for everybody to get around the table and, and understand that actually, yeah, everyone was moving in the same direction. But the third-party support from people like the council and from our sponsors, but also from the fans, um, was all part of it. And all of those uh, all of those helped build the argument around why the Phoenix should remain in the league. We felt we'd done enough to establish that actually we were an important part of the league. Um, but all of that was helpful in terms of um, in terms of us getting this deal done. The investment you're talking about is that not just on the field? Um, no, no, a lot of the investments off the field. A lot of the investment that, that we have lined up is in the academy. Uh, in our development sides. So uh, we, we see the academy as, as being a really important um, part of the club going forward. Uh, we think it's a, it's a really positive thing for Wellington as well. Um, but we would, um, you know, we, we see a lot of growth there. There's a lot of demand um, uh, for, for top quality um, uh, academy products. There's a lot a lot of demand, particularly from, from international students who want to come into uh, an English learning environment. They want to play football uh, or learn about football, but in an English language environment. And that's, you know, that's something that we can provide. So, so we see a lot of growth there. So there will be a lot of investment in the academy. Um, uh, but I think you'll see there'll be investment in players as well. That's Phoenix Club chairman Rob Morrison. The All Blacks stole the show at the Halberg Awards in Auckland this week. They were named Team of the Year, Steve Hansen was Coach of the Year, and the team won the award everyone wants, the Supreme Halberg. Our reporter Matt Chatterton was at the award ceremony. In a night that celebrates great sporting achievement in New Zealand, the All Blacks once again outshone the competition. The first award to go their way went to the coach, Steve Hansen, who beat the likes of Black Caps coach Mike Hessen and Hamish Wilcox, the coach of the Sailors, Blair Chuk and Peter Burling. Hansen, who guided the All Blacks to back-to-back titles at last year's World Cup, says he was humbled to be part of such a high pedigree of coaching talent. You're just privileged to be here amongst uh, some good people, and uh, you know, New Zealand's a small place, and our sporting history tells us that uh, we bet well above our average, and yeah, it makes us uh, proud as to, you know, to be New Zealanders. Next up was the Team of the Year title, which they won over the last year's runners-up at the Cricket World Cup, the Black Caps, and world champion rowers Hamish Bond and Eric Murray. That win meant the All Blacks went up for the Supreme Award against Sportswoman of the Year Lydia Coe, who claimed her first major title last year and finished the year as the number one women's golfer, and Kane Williamson, who won the Sportsman of the Year Award after an outstanding year with the bat. Also in the mix was Sophie Pascoe, who was named Disabled Sportsperson of the Year. The All Blacks were firm favourites for the trophy, but it still came as somewhat of a surprise to their now retired captain, Richie McCaw. The calibre of the, the men and women uh, in the room tonight was uh, is pretty awesome, so just to be able to celebrate that. Um, but also, I guess, from our point of view, take a moment to reflect on, you know, as sportsmen we don't do that that well, uh, the success you have had, that all the hard work's paid off, um, you know, not like tonight uh, lets you do that.
Meanwhile, Kane Williamson, who didn't win the Supreme Award, still said it was a great feeling to add another cricketing name to the list of winners of the Sportsman of the Year Award. There's a reason why there's a variety of names and there's so many different sports um, played at the highest level um, from people in this country and it's, and it's great to see um, different sports receive the awards. A night to remember for the All Blacks means they have now won the Supreme Halberg three times, equaling shot putter Valerie Adams and rower Rob Waddell. That's Matt Chatterton, and this is Extra Time. With the 2016 Super Rugby season just around the corner, the New Zealand franchises have less than a week left of pre-season training before the new 18-team competition kicks off. After a disappointing 2015 season, the Blues have gone through some of the biggest changes out of all the New Zealand teams. The most notable change was that of head coach. See, John Kerwin was shown the door, and former All Black captain Tana Umanga was ushered through the other side. Despite finishing second to last last season, punters are already picking the Blues to be in the top eight. So we sent Matt Chatterton down to catch up with the Blues senior prop, Charlie Farmer-Wiener, and find out what his expectations are for his side this season. We really want to start well. I think that's probably something we're gonna, uh, we haven't done a well in the past, so that's one thing we want to take off. But uh, we just want to win, uh, I think for us, you know, we had a bad season last year, we just want to win our fans back and... Put a, bit of, uh, put a bit of respect back into our team, so that's probably one thing we want to uh, drive this year. So, yeah. With all due respect, I mean, uh, the Blues have probably been a little bit underwhelming in the past few seasons. Do you, is there an expectation now that Tana's here that you guys are aiming you know, to really sort of prove your worth and prove that you are a top six side? Yeah, I think uh, I mean, that's uh, the expectation every year, uh, but uh, obviously it comes down to the results, you know. But this year, you know, it's a bit of a fresh start, new coach, new facilities. Uh, mate, we're, we're expecting the best and um, come round one against the Hollanders, hopefully we can carry our pre-season form right throughout and we'll see how we go. How about yourself? How's sort of fitness level and just general health going into the season? How are you feeling? Yeah, I think I'm there about 5-10% off. Uh, uh, but, uh, man, I'm looking forward. I've been itching to get back on the field again. Played 20 minutes last week and it was, it was good. Uh, heavy on the lungs, but it's good to be back out there. Uh, but, yeah... Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. How's, uh, how's Rennie going? Uh, he uh, sort of performed quite well in the Melbourne game I remember watching. Uh, is he sort of slotting into that midfield quite nicely? Yeah, I think uh, his uh, back line is going really well. I think him and George Weil are going to be a dangerous uh, midfield. Uh, we just want to make sure that our forwards give them a good platform to, to do their thing. So, yeah, I think Rennie, you know, he's one of our leaders in our team, so he's, uh, he's doing a really good job there, uh, leading the pack. So, yeah, it's been awesome. And Tana, how have you found working under his leadership? Yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a real detailed guy. Uh, like I was saying before, to other guys, uh, he, he speaks, you know, what he, uh, he speaks a lot. I mean, he, you have to deliver us, you get a bit of an earful, but hey, it's good. It's good for, uh, it's good for the young fellas to see and just shows them what, uh, what Super Rugby is about. That discipline, um, I suppose, that Tana brings, is that something that you see in the All Blacks camp or is, it, is he even tougher than the All Blacks boys? Oh, no, I think he's just as tough as uh, old Steve Hansen. Um, yeah, obviously, if, if everything's going well, he's a good guy to know. But when he, when things kind of go pear shape a little bit, uh, you probably want to stay out of his way. So uh, yeah, I think if we keep playing the way he wants us to play, uh, he'll be happy. And do you think the um, three-point bonus try system that they've introduced with this, uh, for the new season is going to affect the uh, mindset of you guys going forward into each game, like how you approach your game? No, I don't think it's too much. I think you got to you got to score three tries more than your opposition. Uh, I mean, that's it's pretty hard to do, but I'm sure you know, like 
I don't, I, think, I don't think guys kind of think about it like that. Obviously, if you get three tries more, that's cool, but uh, yeah. And the expansion of the competition, you're excited about playing these uh, new teams? Well, the Kings have been around before, but uh, Japan and Argentina? Yeah, I think it's, uh, it'll be awesome to go to different parts of the world. Obviously, you know, being a part of the All Blacks, you get to visit those places. But uh, to go with your super team, it's pretty, it'll be pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, we'll see how we go. That's Charlie Farmawina talking to Matt Chatterton. It has been a big week for the retired All Black captain, Richie McCaw. He was named the New Zealander of the Year and then accepted the Halbig Award as the All Blacks took the supreme honour. McCaw spoke to Catherine Ryan this week and told her there was something special about the squad they had at last year's World Cup. From a performance point of view, firstly, um, you know, when you've won it before, um, it would be easy to have an excuse, especially for quite a few of us that were there uh, four years previous. So, you know, to, to go to another level um, when everyone's trying to knock you off, um, uh, you know, you, you've got to be pretty dedicated and have a pretty good bunch of people all doing their thing to ensure you do that. One of, one of the great things um, that the feedback we got as a team and one of the things we really wanted to do is, you know, how we acted and, and interacted with people off the field. And some of the feedback we got, you know, from whether it be hotels or just, you know, the way the guys carried themselves while we were at the World Cup, so not only doing the job on the field, but, you know, uh, being... Uh, approachable and and, uh, and carrying yourselves as you'd expect uh, uh, an All Black representing New Zealand, um, that was all done extremely well. And I think that's one of the things as a team that uh, also proud of. You know, you weren't seen as the, just the winners and, and you know a bunch of uh, arrogant or you know uh, ungrateful people. We were actually uh, got both of those things right, and I think that's you know um, the other side of it that you, can, that, you know you know I'm certainly very proud of. What are, what is your thinking, including longer term, about what to do with these skills that we have? We know that at the moment you, you've spoken, obviously you completed your commercial fixed-wing pilot's licence this year. We know you're flying choppers and that you're involved with a company there. But given the skill set and drive that is evident, what are some of the longer term ambitions you have and what sort of areas are you looking at? One of the things I'm really passionate about, and, and I think one of the reasons I kept playing for, for uh, the amount of time I did, is the, the leadership side of how to, um, you know, be resilient and and how to, uh, you know, I guess mould people or in, inspire people uh, to, to believe in something and, and then achieve something. Um, you know, some of the skills and, and lessons I learned um, over the years, um, I think transfer into all sorts of different, you know, whether it be business or other parts of life. And I'm really passionate about that. And I love talking to like-minded people about those sort of things. And, you know, down the track, if, uh, you know, there's opportunities to, um, to, you know, I guess pass on some experiences or, or even from my point of view, learn more about that in, in a different area or role or, you know, uh, whether it be in business or whether it be whatever, um, that, that's the bit that, that I guess that those are the things that I'm, I'm quite passionate about and um, you know maybe down the track those sort of things to be involved in. You know, have a notoriously high pain threshold and work rate. The two can be related. I mean, you famously played with a broken foot in that earlier World Cup. Is that endurance, is, is that something that one is blessed to be born with or is it again all about attitude? Uh well, personally, I, I think it's about attitude. You know, when you when you're driven to be successful, and and uh, and when you got people relying on you, and and you're relying on others, I don't know. It's amazing what you can uh, you can do, and, and 
you know, whether it be, you know, now what we did having to put up with some things that aren't that nice or whether it be just, um, you know, having to deal with tricky situations or whatever, um, you know, if you just sort of uh, gave up when it the first one of, uh, you know, to me that's, uh, you know, having given a fair crack and, um, you know, talking about, say, the World Cup where I had a, a, the foot that was sore, like, I was sitting here, you know, afterwards going, oh, maybe I could have given it a go, you know. Um, if I'd had a crack and it didn't work because it was just too bad, well, at least I've tried. Um, but, you know, it did work and you didn't know about trying. Richie McCaw talking to Catherine Ryan. This is extra time. Well, it was almost expected. The New Zealand sailors Peter Burling and Blair Chook this week won their fourth straight World 49er title. The pair again dominated the regatta in Florida, finishing 43 points ahead of the second-place team. Burling and Chook have dominated the class since finishing second at the London 2012 Olympics. I spoke with Burling after the win and asked him about the regatta. Yeah, obviously, absolutely stoked to you know go and uh, defend our, our world title with a with a couple of races to spare and uh, something that you know Blue and myself have been doing a lot of hard work in the 49er and keeping keeping on pushing on and uh, a few things we were trying this week uh, worked worked pretty well. So uh, really happy I managed to start off the week really strong and just uh, carry on right through to the end. Conditions seem to well, start off strong and then it got got light. You must be happy that you cope with most things. Yeah, well, actually, the, the kind of first two days of the event were pretty much blown out. We only managed to get, you know, one out of the scheduled seven races in, in that time. And so, yeah, the, the qualifying series got pushed out a little bit. But uh, no, we managed to get a, you know, really good qualifying series in. And the, the lighter air that we kind of followed those, those two days that were blown out and yeah, then kind of capitalised on that, that lead we had in, in the final series uh, over the last few days. And uh, we've got it all wrapped up before the medal race this afternoon. What about the the domination that you have? It seems in this event. I, I suppose you're sort of not trying to think about that. Yeah, well, it's something that you know the, the end goal for us has um, been pretty clear for a long time now that we want to you know go and try and win a gold in, in Rio and in, in the 49er, and uh, something that we know you know a lot of these guys are, are pushing really hard, and if they have a good event, you know yeah, you've got to put on to beat them. And uh, something that you know, for Blair and myself, we're just trying to keep improving and, and keep pushing on and keep getting better in all the areas that, you know, we think we're, we can get better in and uh, something that, you know, seems to be keeping us in pretty good stead at the moment. Is that why you said you were you were sort of trialling a few things this week? Yeah, well, I think you're always trialling and testing things. It's something in our sport, you know, if you're not moving forward, uh, you know, people are catching you and uh, something that you've got to keep moving forward and keep pushing to, you know, be as, be as good as you can. Was the opposition also giving you that competition that you needed? Yeah, well, obviously all the good guys are here, you know, it's our last world chance before the before the Olympic Games later in the year and um, it's, a, it's a pretty special one to win. What's on the schedule for you now that uh, before Rio? Oh, yeah, no, so Blair and myself, you know, we've got a pretty busy schedule now uh, building up to Rio we pretty much head home for, for a couple of nights and we've got the, the Hellberg dinner there and then um, yeah, off to Oman for the first uh, AT World Series event of the year. And then, uh, yeah, we're kind of back and forth between that bit of AC stuff and a fair bit of 49er um, stuff uh, through to the Games. And that's uh, something that you know, we've put a lot of planning into the next six months over the last couple of years. And uh, we're going to have to keep monitoring it, you know, through the through the time. But uh, we're really looking forward to the challenge. And so that uh, time with Team New Zealand, that'll be good, you know, uh, the, the change there? 
yeah, it's something that um, you know, we've kind of said from the outset that uh, we believe they can you know complement each other really well, and I think we've proved that you know it uh, can be pretty successful uh, with what we've been doing over the last couple of years. And so, you confident um, about Rio this year? No, we're obviously really happy with where we're at, but yeah, you know, we're under no illusions. We've got a fair bit of hard work to do over you know the next little bit to, to keep our lead, and that's something that you know, like I said before. If you're not moving forward, someone else is catching you, so you know, you've got to keep pushing and, and moving forward, but I'm really looking forward to the challenge. That's Peter Burling. It's been a big week for the country's top rowers with the national championships on Lake Karapiro. Elite squads will be selected afterwards for this year's world events, including the Rio Olympics. Francie Turner was the New Zealand women's eight coxswain in 2015 and hopes to be with the crew again this year. She's been a part of the Canterbury team this week and loves competing at the national event. The Nationals is a really cool time because it's a chance to go back to your regional team and for me I'm actually going back to my club um, and doing some novice and men club races so it's actually cool to give back and to help develop the um, the sport up and I suppose in a wider context for us at Rowing New Zealand and, and the Women's Eight it's a good time to you know really for us to handle the pressure going into the Olympics you know race each other have, have that you know performance environment you know, where, where it is a challenge. Now, the uh, the eights, uh, they've qualified for the Rio Games, so that's exciting. Oh, very exciting. And to have both eights qualify is something Rowing New Zealand has never done, let alone, you know, have a women's eight even um, medal. So we, we're hugely excited and, um, you know, we're just going to take the Olympic Games in our stride and, and see what this year brings. So what's been the, the secret of the eights, uh, this current eights squad? Um, I suppose there's no real one thing that that makes the eight go well, but one thing we do really well, and at the moment we're actually the eights in a summer squad, so we're a group of 12 athletes, and then we'll soon be selected into the eight again in eight, but we've got a really, really good culture at the moment where each person has different strengths and contributes to the boat in different ways, and it's it's the harmony of bringing those strengths together that actually makes you know, that made our eight go so well last year. Um, And Rowan New Zealand have been hugely supportive. You know, they've got really good sweeping girls in the under-23 programme coming through. You know, we've got a really strong group of 12 girls, so the depth in the women's sweep programme is continually building. But I'd say the secret is culture, you know, creating a good culture. So a lot of team building off the water as well, as on? Yes, and I suppose we're all... You know, we're all really good friends. We all get along with each other. And it's um, and I suppose in any sport, yeah, we do have the team building. We have fun. We go out. Um, we celebrate people's birthdays. We, we enjoy our successes, which is really important. Um, but also we, we, we do challenge each other and we do push each other as a squad. And, you know, we're prepared, prepared to have tough conversations like, like any crew would have. And, and that, that develops you further down the track. So I think in the, the minds of the New Zealand public, there's something sort of special about seeing a, a New Zealand or seeing both New Zealand eights at the Olympics. Oh, undoubtedly. You know, we think that too, um, being in the eight. And I think it's just because it's the power of eight people together and it's the eight blades and it's the excitement of hearing the coxswains and the blades splashing and it's fast. And, you know, it's the Blue Ribbon event. It's one of the last events at World Champs and everyone's just sort of, 
buys into it and get involved. And it's amazing if from the New Zealand public how many people know someone who's been involved or for throwing or have some connection in some way. And, you know, we're starting to see that at Māori Cup and even North Island Champs. We've got record number of school kids attending, you know, that they see these eights, they see these rowing, New Zealand rowing crews and want to be part of it. So that's really cool that public's getting on board behind us. So in the, in the women's eight, uh, in traditionally Canada and, and the States are the big ones, aren't they? Oh, yes, definitely. You know, uh, the States have won for 10 years consecutive now. They've got a very, very strong program um, with very, very strong athletes. But, you know, we're, for the first time and ever rowing New Zealand, you know, we put our bow ball on their stern. And, you know, that's the closest anyone's got to their States in a long time. And Canada are traditionally very strong and usually get second to the States. So for us to come in was, was like a a dark horse and as someone said it'd be like Ireland winning the Rugby World Cup it's just unheard of um, but you know now if that's just a, an added pressure we know Canada are going to be training really hard, they, they don't want us in that position, the states are going to know we're right there so for us that's a really good challenge you know to keep performing, keep, keep on them and, and seeing how far we can push them So really we're talking about what, four to five months of intensive work out there? Uh, yes yeah so the intensity will definitely be lifting from now on in. Um, but we've had a really strong summer. We've had actually a really intense competitive summer. So the girls are in a really good, strong position um, from our wider squad of 12. That will go to eight. So it's just carrying on from that. And, you know, we're in a really good spot and it's just going through trials in the next couple of weeks. Um, then the crew will get selected and then we'll be able to, you know, train in the eight and, and get the feeling of the crew and the dynamics again. So it makes it quite hard having 12 and down to 8. So those trials will be very important and everyone's up to do their best, obviously. Uh, yes, no, oh, this is you know, one of the most important things and everyone's you know, wanting to, to secure their spot. You know, we're, we're all friends off the water, but on the water you know, they're, they're going out there to, to beat each other, you know, to secure their spot as, as best as they can. So these trials are you know, really, really important. If, if you don't make it from the trials, then then ultimately you haven't made the crew. But as Coxon, you're confirmed, are you? No, not so at there's all. Competition for that position as well. Yeah, there's there's competition for every position. No one no one's actually confirmed their seat yet. There's some there's probably some crews that are highly likely to stay together, for example the men's pair, but none of us coxswains or rowers have got a hundred percent yes yes you're going we all need to work and, and strive for our seats and you know put our best performance out to secure that for us. New Zealand and Canterbury rowing cox Francie Turner talking to Andrew McRae. Netball may be about to move to join basketball and having three point shots from outside the shooting circle. Some new rules will be trialled at this weekend's ANZ Championship pre-season shootout in Auckland and Sydney. A three-point scoring zone and rolling interchange are among the rules that will be trialled during shortened games consisting of two 10-minute halves. Checkpoint's John Campbell spoke to former Silver Fern and Tall Fern Donna Wilkins, who quite likes the idea. If I put my netball hat on, it's probably quite exciting for the fact that, you know, um, 
a lot of the games nowadays, you've got tall shooters. So, you know, you're normally getting the ball right under the post and you don't have the movement of the circle as what you did probably when I started playing. So the, the game's starting to change and you're not seeing the long-range shot as much. Um, of course, you've got Maria who does shoot the long-range shot and it would be quite nice for her to get a few extra points. And, um, and also, if you're, you're down on the score sheet, it will be an easy way to, to get up. Yeah, the other thing I like about it is it's going to force the defenders out a bit, isn't it, to the edge of the circle. They're not going to be able to stay back. And that's exciting, because it, which means that you can draw the defender out and then short pass into under the hoop. Yeah, you can, and it's going to make it a lot more mobile. And um, it'll be interesting to see when they trial it how many three-point attempted shots are actually taken in a game. Like, I don't think netball is such a, a fast game and you don't have a lot of turnover ball normally. So if you take a long shot, you're not there also for a rebound position. So if you lose possession, oh, yeah. it's a lot harder to get it back. So, I mean, the, the type of play that I think that you probably see it on is if someone has infringed outside the circle and you're kind of in that zone of where you're able to shoot a three-point shot and probably when the clock's running down, like you see in basketball a lot, when you you, you throw up the ball, and I'm presuming it's only the shooters that are able to shoot. It's real. I think. Look, I think it's a really exciting idea. There's lots of other suggestions too. Rolling subs. What do you reckon about that one? Oh, look, I think you've got to move with the times, and it's getting such a physical and fast game now, netball, that you, you probably need to look at that. And they do it in that um, in the fast five. Um, you know, they they allow to sub a lot more frequently. Whether or not you've got the time, like in basketball, you know, you're subbing all the time, but it's normally when the ball's gone out of court. Yeah. So I guess um, they'll play along the same sort of rules. If you call time, boom, you're gone, and then someone can sub on, maybe. So it'll be, um, be interesting to see them and trial it, but it, they need to move with the time and I think it's really exciting that they're actually looking at some of these things, especially for the shooting. Um, you know, uh, it can get a little bit boring when it's just right under the post. That's Donna Wilkins talking to John Campbell. Well, that's extra time for this week. You can follow us on Twitter at RNZ Sport. I'm Barry Guy. Bye for now. 